Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Outcasts with me, stout yeoman of the guard, Tim Downey, and leggy brunette, David Berry. <laughs> yeah. Today, we once again walk the broad and heather-strewn outlander moorlands to find that elusive grouse of talent, and goodness me, have we found it today, snuffling amongst the foliage. She has been gracing our screens <laughs> as Lizzie Wemmis since 2018. She's not a canoeist from New Zealand. But our very own, <laughs> the brilliant Caitlin O'Reilly. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you so much. I don't think I've ever had an introduction like that. And I can safely say you will never get an introduction quite like that. Wow, I might have to record that for future, <laughs> for future use. I'll put that on your CV up front. Just that bad. <laughs> play a musical instrument and have been likened to a grouse. I think that's... Wow. I'm going to have to Google a grouse after this, I think. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> See, this is the problem. Tim always has these amazing introductions and I love them. And I don't think any of us understand them, but they sound so good. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Eloquent. You've got a way with words, Tim. Just imbued with an importance that just isn't there in reality. Start <laughs> breaking it apart. Wow. Fabulous. So you don't think I'm a grouse. How hurtful. They are beautiful creatures of the moorland landscape. Please wow. look look them up. Look them up. They're like I, I sure will. Please I sure do. Will. Please do. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. And usually on these occasions, we have asked you beforehand to provide us with a scene that oh, you would uh, we would like to revisit and just have a little kind of go through again. Now, you chosen a scene from the last season, from season four episode nine from season four so mm -hmm. could you just tell us first of all a little bit of background coming up to this point so what's happened before to take us to this point where the scene begins okay um so lizzie and brianna have just traveled over to america mm -hmm. in pursuit of jamie and claire um and i think prior to this um we stayed a night in a tavern in Wilmington mm -hmm. um and there um you know the, the worst possible thing happened to Brianna um and Lizzie sort of saw what happened um has has a vague idea of of what's gone down um because she saw the aftermath when Brianna came back into their room um so after this they have then been reunited with um Jamie and Claire um, and I think the scene directly before this, um, myself and John Bell were out for a little walk through the forest, a little scuffle through the forest. And um, there in the distance, I saw the man who I thought attacked Brianna, mm -hmm. who turns out to be Roger 
So um, John, well, young Ian then takes me to tell Jamie. Okay. And then the scene happens. Brilliant. And then the scene the scene unfolds before us. Yeah. And, tell us, and just for those that don't know, just tell us a little bit about Lizzie. Tell us a little bit about your about your character and how you kind of fit into the whole out, Outlander yeah. family. Yeah, so um, Lizzie is, um, she came first into contact with Brianna when um, my father asked Brianna to take me um, as an indentured servant to uh, rescue me from becoming a concubine of a man. Um, how fun that would have been though. <laughs> um, and um, so I then become her maid essentially and tra travel with her um, and become quite close, quite good friends. Um, and yeah, I'm with her on her travels to through America and beyond. Fabulous. All right. Well, let's have a little gander at this scene. So mm -hmm. what uh, we usually do is split it up. I'd like to split it up. I'd like to kind of ruffle a few feathers. I'm going back to the grouse analogy. We're going to ruffle a few feathers here and just mix it up. We're going to mix it up a little bit. Okay, great. So we've got a Jamie, we've got a young Ian mm -hmm. and you. <laughs> yes. It's a three-hander, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, Tim, you did describe me as a leggy brunette. I did describe you as a leggy brunette. This is very true. Let's be honest. Who's the leggy brunette in this scene? It's got to be Ian. <laughs> obviously, it's obviously young Ian. That's exactly what I was thinking. John will love that. I, think that. I think that's. I think that's what we're all thinking. Well, I'm young oh, Ian. Okay. I'm taking young Ian. I'm taking the leggy brunette. Okay. Well, I mean, I will. I will happily. Give you my Lizzie, oh, and please, would you? I mean, would please, you? I definitely want to see. Yeah, you want to see that? Fabulous! Yeah, and that's exactly absolutely. that's exactly what's going to happen right now. And would you give us a? Would you give us a little Jamie? Oh gosh, I will try. It's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go. So, season four, episode nine, scene thirty-nine, exterior Fraser's Ridge, small clearing, day. Jamie's splitting wood at the still when young Ian and Lizzie come riding up with Rollo beside them. Lizzie's face is pale and pinched. Uh, she looks like a scared mouse. Lizzie, what's wrong? Absolutely spot on. Literally, you know, I can see you, but if I couldn't see you, I mean, that's perfect. If I close my eyes, because obviously I can see you, you know, those at home can't, but I'm, I'm literally thank there. You, thank I'm you. Fabulous. That sounds exactly <laughs> like Sam. Lizzie shakes her head, wordless. Young Ian, and I'm very excited about this. Young oh, Ian, God. prompts her. Here we go. John Bell, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Tell him. Well, um, he's matured. He had a light night. He's been he had a light block. night. Wow. <laughs> Big, heavy, very heavy night there for young Ian. Wow. Very heavy night indeed. Yes. <laughs> Lizzie takes Ian's arm for support. Jamie's beginning to get alarmed. She saw a man that put a fright into her. Fabulous. Absolutely wonderful. I'm not even going to apologize for it. That's I'm going wonderful. for it. <laughs> okay, now what I'm about to do, I'm going to apologize for as well. I'm going to do uh, essentially, now I am a man of many accents, but basically they're very generic accents. Mm. So so I'm going to go for a vague northern accent. It will drift it will just drift. Liz is Scottish, Tim. That's as northern as I'm going. Okay. Um, I could do it. If I do a Scottish accent, you will sound like you've just been in a bath. So right? you're just... Okay. I'll show you. Please. I'll show you. Let me show you. You're the roadster. <gasps> Beautiful. I quite See like it. I mean? She's got a bit of an edge. I mean, that's... She, she's more than an edge. <laughs> she's got several edges. She's a square right now. I tell you. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll go with that, then. Near the road, sir. She kent him, uncle. She's seen him before with Brianna. And? At Wilmington. A brute of a man he was. Brianna was afraid of him. Afraid? Why? I didn't came, but she turned right when she met him, sir, and lay out a weird skellock. Yeah, you see that you see that command. That command of the language. I'm liking it, Tim. You're you're witnessing something very special here. We're loving it. Then her cheeks were flushed. Oh, she was agitated. Anyone could see it. What did he do? He came close to her and held her by the arms and took her away with him. She told me I was to wait. She'll come back. And you let her go with him? I should have gone after her, but I was afraid, sir. May God forgive me, I went upstairs and she told me, I'm slipping into like, <laughs> it's, I don't know what this is, it's becoming a noise. I can She's totally well apologise. <laughs> isn't she just? But I went upstairs and she told me, isn't she? Sounded like Rapsy Nesbitt, for those, well, look, for those that Tim, remember that. As we understood from what Caitlin said, Lizzie and John Bell have gone out the night before in the woods. And it's a heavy night. On the last. I think we're only playing to the given circumstances. Quite right. Definitely. Quite right. Such one too many cigarettes. I am going to plow on. <laughs> I've yes, this this is my this is my tent pole, and I'm going to. That's it. This is where we're beginning. <laughs> Please. When do. I went upstairs and she told me, she ah, she didn't even <laughs> turn. I tell dawn. She had bruises and her nose was bleeding. Ah, she was she. Uh, there was blood on her petticoats, and I could smell him on her. <laughs> hey, his seed. Wow. Oh, wow, that was poignant. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing I'm sitting down. Yeah. I think everyone else will need to listen to this, to be honest. <laughs> Her voice has dropped. Thank you. They're in the script. Her They're voice in the script. has dropped. <laughs> you see, that's, wow. that's acting. You, you that. read something from the stage directions that I clearly did not pick up on. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the surge of rage cuts through Jamie like a bolt of white-hot lightning. She twists her skirt with her sweaty hands, stares at the ground. She was a virgin when he took her. And I'm a maid, sir. I saw the blood. I knew he's come after her. Are you sure this is the same man? His rage is a dangerous, jagged object oh. searing in his chest. I'm sure of that. Do you think he's come to claim her, uncle? Go to the cabin. Don't speak a word of this to my wife or daughter. You understand? Oh, dear mother. Oh, blessed mother, what have I done? Go! Liz Lee nods <laughs> frantically and takes off running. End scene. Fabulous. Yeah. I think wow. we've all wow. given. If only that was in the final edit. <laughs> That's it. Print. Tell me what did you think of that? Um, I thought that was a beautiful rendition. And there's something about Thank listening you. to it from the outside point of view, where you were finding nuance within the characters that I just I just was not aware of. Yeah. There you go. There you I go. You see broad strokes. And I wish I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Now, why that particular scene? What was it? What was it about that scene that, that really kind of leapt out for you? And why did you want to choose that one? Um, so I chose this scene because, well, firstly because it holds a special place in my heart. In terms of, it was actually the scene that I auditioned with for myself. Right. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that firstly, um, and then also, I think for Lizzie, it's quite a monumental moment for her character arc in terms of. Up until this point, she's been very much um, looked after by Brianna. And I think this is her first moment of kind of stepping forward and wanting to do something um, to kind of pay Brianna back for 
for the help and support that she's given her. Um, mm. And also in terms of the narrative of the entire season, um, this was such a turning point because obviously Lizzie's mistake here by thinking that it was Roger falsely got Roger blamed for assaulting Brianna, um, got him sent off to the Mohawks. And then eventually young Ian then, you know, sacrificed himself. So this one scene kind of, she had a big old effect, did Lizzie? Her little disaster. You mucked it up, didn't yeah. you? You you messed everything up. I mean, you had the best yeah. intentions, but you yeah, made everything worse. This is also something that I want to clear up okay. because there's been a lot of hate towards Lizzie for this right. mistake. Um, honest and mistake. I've received quite honest a lot mistake. of that on an honest mistake. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I am just Team Lizzie one hundred percent. Yes, she's clutzy. Um, she makes mistakes, but she has the best intentions. And with the evidence that she had at hand, I can completely understand how she she jumped to that conclusion. And what would we rather her not have said anything? True. You know? But who really jumped to the conclusion, really, in the end? The person who took action was Jamie, wasn't it? So That is very true. That is very true. Blame Jamie. Yep. You just laid the evidence out as you saw it. And maybe it's his fault for listening to you, Clutzy Lily. Stirred the pot. Yeah, <laughs> listen, blame Jamie. That's what I'm saying. No one's going to blame Jamie, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm well aware of that already. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's kind of why I chose the scene, really. Well, I think one of the most exciting things about having you on this podcast, Caitlin, as I understand it, is mm-hmm. nobody knows much about you. I think, it's, as you said, you're, you're fresh, you're, you're new and, <laughs> and very talented, I, I might oh, add. You're not like on your way to becoming washed up has-beens like Tim and I. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no. Not with, not with that reading. That was beautiful. Absolutely so not. Many I was fresh as the f- I'm, I'm box fresh. I am box fresh. That's all I can say. <laughs> Am I correct in saying this is one of your first interviews? Have you done much press before? No, this is literally, other than, um, you know, if we do a scene on Outlander and then I do a little bit to camera, to the side of it, this mm-hmm. is my very first podcast slash interview. Yeah, so, so quite nervous. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to know you a little better. And while I know oh. Tim and I aren't exactly like Vanity Fair, or... <laughs> I always go on what Roger Moore, not once told me, but once said in general, is I don't care what they say about me as long as they spell my name right. Wow. Um, and I think that <laughs> is definitely worth paying attention to because I've pitted a lot of bad things where they spell my name wrong. And you think, well, maybe that, maybe that is a plus in that sense, as people won't be able to IMDB me or Google it later. <laughs> What, how did they spell your name? Well, they how either they called me Tom, Tom, or Tom. they put a double O, the Duni, mm. again. Wow. Not entirely incorrect, as we know. Not right, entirely right? incorrect. Not entirely incorrect. Right. But luckily, if you Google it, it takes you on to other, other things. Much like I mentioned, when I said she's not the canoeist from New Zealand, when you Google Caitlin O'Ryan, one of the things that come up is a New Zealand canoeist. As much really? like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You wow. are a very famous New Zealand canoeist. God. As much as mm-hmm. if you Google Tim Downey, you will always get the ubiquitous ice hockey player from Canada. There's always someone oh called God. your name who is an ice hockey player, which is very odd. And also there's a macrobiologist from Chester who's also <laughs> called Tim Downey. Wow. I remember in, in my final year of drama school, um, you you have to obviously claim your name for equity, don't you? And um, I was searching my name to see if it was available. And originally I was told that I couldn't have it because there was an Australian actress called Kathleen Iron. 
that was the clothing iron. Iron. so it was like Kathleen, Kathleen iron. iron was like this nemesis that i had in australia who was taking all my jobs and <laughs> Like, you know, fake yeah. you, fake me. Yeah, down under. Wait, you couldn't say your name is Kathleen Orion because there's a Kath- Kathleen I? Because it, yeah, so it said that it was too similar. Um, but then when it actually came to it, Kathleen Iron had disappeared. So it's a bit of conspiracy, uh, guys. <laughs> it, I mean, I'm innocent, my hands are clean. It's all um, a bit, it's all a bit murky, isn't it? It's all a bit murky. <laughs> Suddenly she disappears. <laughs> I can take your name. Oh, a little news to worry. Me. I, I didn't know you had to check that you, you could use your own name. That's something. Is it, what, is it not the same for you? Done. No, um, no, no, no. If someone told me I couldn't use my own name, then I don't know. I just, I think I'd still keep using it. Yeah. I don't know of any other David Berries, but I'm sure there are a few. Tim, like you said, there's probably an ice hockey player. There's undoubtedly an ice yeah. hockey player. No, I've never had to do well, it's, that. It's specifically hmm. for actors, isn't it? I think like you have to make sure that you have your own name. Is it something to do with royalties or something? Looking at you, Tim. I don't know why. Yeah. No, I think um, I think it's that awful thing that every actor dreads is that you go for an audition, kind of go, wow, I'd love to have this. Wouldn't this be absolutely incredible? And then you go and then they say, congratulations, you've got it. And you kind of think, I cannot, I cannot believe that I have this job. This is, yeah. it mu- they must be, and this is the bit, it, they must mean somebody else. And then you arrive and they say, ah, yes. You know, the other Tim, you know, the other Tim Downey, the one that was better than you. I, yes. Uh, and that is why I think you don't. It's just a lot easier uh, to be rejected uh, when they know your name. Yeah. Um, Let me say, I am sorry for all the David Berries that come after me now. I'm clearly going to be the most famous one. So my apologies yeah. go out there. My apologies to all the Caitlin O'Ryans. My apologies to all the Tim Downeys. We've staked our Shout name. Shout out to Kathleen Iron. Yeah. Now, I recall, mm-hmm. Caitlin, your first day on Outlander, aside from, I don't know, maybe the costume fittings, mm-hmm. was the read-through. Yes. And um, and I remember being in the car with you that morning yeah. uh, on the way to the studio. Now, am I correct in saying that I was maybe the first cast member you had met? Um, yeah, you might well have been, actually. I remember, yeah, because I was sat in the front and you were sat in the back and you were being very cool. <laughs> And I was. Uh, so that's my question. What do you remember about <laughs> our conversation that morning? I know. I, I remember you being really nice. Actually, I remember you um, calming me quite a bit. Because what was mad about it? So, um, so I got the role off um, off a self tape, which meant that I never met anyone. So I hadn't even met um, the casting mm-hmm. director. I hadn't met the director. Um, I rocked up like not knowing anyone so yeah you were the first person that I met I went into the room at the read-through and um yeah it was it was all a bit overwhelming really um yeah, take us through that what was it like going in on the on the read-through I mean what were your thoughts and feelings entering that room and you know who were you excited to meet who were you yeah. nervous to meet so so when I got the audition through I'd, I'd heard of Outlander um there was a few people from my school who'd been in it so Tanya Reynolds actually who played your wife David yeah, I remember um, we had that conversation yeah. in the car. Um, so I knew about it. And then when I got like the my dog... wife? Yes, I remember my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that accused the in there. Yeah, you guys for other people. Um, you've had so many. Um, and um, yeah, so and I watched... So then once I got the job, I just like binged the entire show, um, which was a bit strange mm-hmm. because Kat and Sam, that was like my first time seeing them in anything. So it was weird watching it through a lens of knowing that you're going to work with people. Mm. do you know what I mean um mm. so 
I was obviously I was so excited to meet them um Sophie because I knew that most of my scenes were going to be with Sophie and Sophie was just like delightful straight away she really made an effort to kind of take me under her wing um Richard as well um yeah it's just yeah it was all a bit of a crazy experience really and then um, following on from there I'm guessing you had your first day of filming I'm wondering what mm. that was like and what your expectations were yeah. coming in did you feel confident and prepared I mean this is your first big yeah, gig was crazy. there anything that you did like the night before as a ritual to prepare yourself how are you feeling um god so bit of a crazy story actually so the very first time that I was filming I was only meant to be up for two days and um I was put up in a hotel just outside where we were filming. And it was like this um, kind of golf resort, slightly in the middle of nowhere. And um, whilst I was there, it was when the beast from the east hit. Beast from the east, that's a, that's a snowstorm. Yeah, um, so I got snowed into this hotel on my own for nine days. And I was only supposed to be there for two days. Um, yes. So I literally packed for two days, I hadn't brought anything. Um, so I ended up wandering around this hotel. It was a bit like something out of The Shining, um, yeah. <laughs> and it was it was before I was allowed to um, it was before I was allowed to kind of tell anyone that I was in the show. So people were asking me why I was there. The people who worked there, and I was having to make up this lie that I was like on a work conference that had been snowed off. Um, and yeah, it was mad. Um, and I was like running out of supplies, couldn't get out. No one could get in. Um, so. So obviously, like the nerves of like my first day filming were then like amplified because I was literally just stuck in this yeah. hotel with my own thoughts. Um, so when I finally got onto set, it was just a relief to be out of the hotel, first of all. Mm. Um, and then I, I just remember finding it crazy because um, so the drama school that I went to, um, Oxford School of Drama, it was it was like a wonderful school. But it was very um, it was very small and we had to do everything ourselves. So costume if we did a show we'd have to find our own costume we'd have to make our own sets um felt like it was very much uh theater based training uh-huh. um uh-huh. so the film training that we did have was good um it was with the director and um a cameraman called jack who would basically run around after us filming us and that was my experience of a film set so um when i arrived and i had people dressing me and people do my makeup and people do my hair and then walking out onto a set which was like a real set that you didn't have to make yourself exactly yeah <laughs> like i wasn't whittling the wood in the corner um yeah walking out it was the set of wilmington it was outside and the fact that they've like created this like oldie american town um and i was just i remember just stepping out and just thinking this is absolutely mad this is like beyond my wildest dreams and I don't know why it's always stuck out to me there was like a little vegetable shop and it had real carrots and I remember just looking at those carrots thinking god I'm never gonna forget this moment (laughs) 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 so um yeah it was how did it go how did it go um so that 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 was just me looking out of a window that first day so it was very much just like meeting people for the first time um I remember Andre the cameraman of season four coming over to me and just being like this is big, like, this is big that you're in the show. And I was like, I know, <laughs> this is mad. Um, <laughs> that shop has carrots, I know <laughs> it is big. Can I have one? Um, no. Um, but then, like, the very first day that um, I actually had lines was we were doing the, the interior scene of um, the Wilmington Tavern, which is when um, Brianna and Lizzie arrived and Brianna first saw Roger. Um, and... Yeah, similar thing. Like I remember, because um, obviously, you, what 
what struck me as strange was, you know, in theatre, you have months of uh, rehearsal to kind of run up to something. Whereas mm-hmm. in film, I mean, you get what, like an hour before, if that, before, you know, the crew come in and, and also not knowing what a set was going to look like beforehand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not being able to get used to like objects and where you're going to stand and having to do it in the moment. Like it was just a completely different skill for me. Um, so I remember that first day it, in the interior where I actually had lines kind of chatting it through with the director. Um, and then the scene was that I had to start up some stairs and walk down um, and go up to someone at the bar and say something. So I just had the, um, I just had the rehearsal with the director and then she told me to go and stand up at the top of the stairs, which I did. And then they must have called in the crew because when I got called to come down, I walked down and suddenly there was just like hundreds of people there. And I just like forgot how to walk. (laughs) (laughs) I felt so aware of like everything that I was doing with my body. And yeah, it was, it's all been a huge learning curve really. I think first days are always like yeah. that. Tim, what was your first day like? The first thing that I ever did was just was like a kids show. And mm. so it was very different because when you kind of do stuff in the UK, it feels very much like a cottage industry. Everything's quite small. It's just so much smaller. Obviously. No one can have this name. Exactly. name. <laughs> At least you know that everyone's different and that's fine. You're not going to get in the wrong queue and go, different Tim. Oh, <laughs> terrible. But everything is just a lot smaller and it's a lot more intimate and it's a lot, it's very, very different. And so you kind of come into it a lot more. It's a, there's a softer kind of it into it. Mm. But one thing that I always find from the smallest show to the biggest show is that you learn your lines in isolation. And so you'll say your lines to yourself yeah. or you'll get somebody else who is not an actor. To just <laughs> run this, run this with me. And they'll mm. just, and they're usually terrible. No offense to my wife or anybody else that has ever read lines <laughs> with me. It's like doing a self-tape. They read lines back to you. And you're trying to kind of say, they're over there, sir. Please, we must go. No, we can't go. We really should step. Could you just give it a little bit of something? So you really are very green when you set, You suddenly step on set. And as you yeah. say, Caitlin, there's hundreds of people. There's a. There's everyone. There's lights. Yeah. There's horses. There's massive sets. There's, there's parrots. Ev- I mean, there's parrots. There's everything parrots. you could possibly imagine. Parrots. Oh, oh, carrots. Carrots, <laughs> carrots, parrots, all of these things. It hey, could mean, be parrots. could be could be power i mean just yeah. like oh wouldn't surprise me anything can happen anything can that's happen. the thing about first day i remember my first day similarly anything can happen on a set doesn't matter how much you prepare for it in drama school nothing i said nothing prepares you for what it is like to step on a set and i remember i got this role and then my first day it was, it was a show called miss Fish, miss oh, i can't even say it it's a tongue to me <laughs> miss Fish's murder mysteries. Try well, it was that. never that much of a success because no one could say it. No, no, no. We'll just we'll just watch something else. But uh, I remember in the script I had this scene where I played the killer. So anyone who watches it from now, there's spoiler alert. We find that out at the very end, and I say spoiler because we played the last scene first. And the last scene in all these kind of like crime things is, you know, the big denouement and, and there's a big dramatic scene and, and it's not the way you want to ease into your first day. Oh. And the scene called upon me, I had said that I'm going to be strangling this other guy with this giant boat oar. Meanwhile, oh at the same gosh. time, 
I'm having this big dramatic scene, like expressing my angst about and confession to this person about why I, I actually did kill that person. And then the cops come in and then the cops holding a gun at me. And then I get the, ore, and then I have to like hit it out of the cop's hand. And then the cop gets me and gets me on the ground. And then I start crying. And then that's the scene. And this is my first day. And I was saying, so when are we rehearsing this? I was like, no, no, you're doing it now. You're doing it now. And I'm like, right. And um, I I remember just having such a panic about it, but getting through it nonetheless and just being shocked in that moment of just thinking like, oh, but this happens in the script, that happens in the script. And and then thinking, well, you just got to make it happen on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I struggled walking down the stairs. (laughs) Exactly. I remember as well, like, so in that scene, I literally just had one line. And feeling the pressure to apply every single nuance of my character to that one line. <laughs> like, I think it was like four words. And I was like, okay, so I want to come across as like cheeky and lovable, but also, you know, loyal. And, <laughs> and each word trying to play like a different activity to kind of show every aspect of my character. Yeah. Um, and yeah. just Carol Ann coming up to me, the uh, dialect coach, and she was just like, just, just say the line. <laughs> just say it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The scene's not actually about me. But Lizzie gets to work with a, a lot of people. She's kind yeah. of part of the, the Fraser family, and but also yeah. not. You've worked with yeah. just about everyone in the cast. What has your experience been like working with the cast? Who do you get on with and what have you learned? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you guys know this, like the cast, are one of the warmest casts, I mean, that I can imagine. Um, and first season I remember my first season I remember John Bell like made me feel so comfortable because because he's quite experienced and I remember him giving me like little tips um things like always stand left of camera because that's where the eye is drawn and stuff like that um and yeah yeah um which I don't think I've actually taken through to other things um but what, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like, I, I feel so fortunate to just be able to, even if Lizzie doesn't have, like, a hugely active role within the scene, I get to kind of stand and just watch people, like, established actors, you know, like yourself or Maria or um, Sam or Kat, and, and just, like, watch how people, their camera technique and um, how, how they interact with the directors. And um, I just, I found that so valuable. Um yeah, it's and you know Sophie as well. Like so many of my scenes have been with Sophie, um, and obviously I I went the drama school route, whereas Sophie kind of built her way up through um, TV and film, which is a great way of doing it, I think, because you you have so much experience. Um, it's basically like another version of drama school, I think. Um, and to kind of watch her and 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 you know. I think the first the first few scenes that I was doing, I think I was still very much in like theatre acting and was probably a bit too big for screen. And then watching how subtle she could be and still kind of portray all of the emotion and that that was really valuable. Yeah. Um, but also just people, the people are great. And I just like love hanging out with people outside of it. And it's like a real friendship and it's lovely. And yeah, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I mean, Tim and I get on pretty well. Yeah. Absolutely. Not too bad. But but in spite of Lizzie not being in as much of this season as uh, some of us have hoped, and I have high hopes for what's coming up in future seasons, I think that you you are a very remarkable actor. And what I admire about you. your work is well. that you always seem to come in with um, very strong 
character-based choices. And there's this famous quote, Tim knows it as well, that there's no such thing as small roles, only small actors. And I remember seeing you in episode one with the, um, with the string. And then I, I remember telling you how genius I thought that was. I thought it was amazing mm. how you played out your character's internal psychology through the use of those props and psychological gesture, which I think is, is really, really remarkable stuff and requires a degree of invention and skill that is really hard to do with it for an actor. And I think you just said it's hard enough to walk and talk, but you had this thing, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. And then you had this scene with me later on where you had this kind of cheeky little narrative where um, Lizzie might have had a bit of crush on Lord John. Mm. So I was wondering in scenes where you have very little dialogue, how do you keep mm. it interesting for yourself? How are you coming up with these things? I think um, just knowing, wow, that's a good question. Um, just having a really clear image for myself of what is going on in the scenes. Even if the scene isn't about me, I, w I want to know what's going on between the other characters and then what Lizzie's um, emotion to that might be. Mm -hmm. um, also, I think what how I kind of approach characters is um, to kind of take things um, piecemeal almost, take things scene by scene and try and work out, you know, what is my intention in this scene? What do I want out of this scene? What do I want out of the other person? Um, and then by kind of collecting all of those wants, you can kind of get um, an overview of of your character's personality and um, what is driving them in life. Um, mm -hmm. So, so many of Lizzie's scenes are very much about, um, I guess, uh, security and um, wanting wanting security for other people, wanting security for herself, um, stability. But also, um, I think what she connects to that, how she views that is a man. Um, and I think in those times as well, like, um, you know, if, if you didn't have a man, then, you know, you weren't really a successful woman. Um, and I think I see Lizzie seeing Brianna's relationship with Roger and um, Marsley's relationship and Jamie and Claire's, like, I think she sees that and she's like, okay, I want me a piece of that. So um, <laughs> therefore in any any um scene or something i think she's always kind of weighing up um you know is this a potential maybe i don't know right. um and um yeah and i think just having a really clear idea of of my relationships with other characters and what i think about that character and ha has always helped me so even when i'm not saying anything i can still kind of feel in the scene because i still have opinions and i'm still thinking you're an editor's gift. I mean, that's what people are looking for. You'll, you'll make the edit if you're making strong choices yeah. and you're thinking in the scene and you're, you're reacting to it. Do you think, because that's that's very much a theatre technique, and do you think that actually having a kind of more of a, a drama school theatre background has actually helped in that respect? Because obviously if you're learning a play and you and everything is seen, you know that yeah. at every given moment, every mm. single thing is seen. There is no camera shot off where you're not. Do yeah. you think that that really does help and aid you kind of being trained in that way to think no I have to keep active and keep in the scene yeah I think I honestly think there's pros and cons to both I think definitely um drama school gave me tools to apply to a script mm. um and obviously much of that was stage-based what I found strange about going into um television and, and especially you know a series like this where you don't thankfully we have the books as a kind of reference point mm. 
but you still don't know how much of that is going to make it in or whether things are going to change. Mm -hmm. And what I found strange is kind of, we're almost living along with these characters. Um, you know, a month before we're due to film something, we might be sent the scene. But, you know, like you like you said, in a play, you, you have the beginning point, the middle point and the end point, and you can see your character's journey and you can kind of cherry pick how you're going to get to that moment at the end. Whereas with this, it's it's been a completely different experience because it's very much more having to be in the moment and mm. knowing eventually from the books that my character is going to get to this point. Um, but it's it's way more um, a day by day and scene by scene, and um, which I think is a joy because you are you are growing up with this character essentially. Yeah. And I know with Lizzie, like she she started off very meek and you know no spoilers for anyone who hasn't read the books, but I know that her her end goal is quite surprising, and I'm so excited to play that if you know if the scenes get written. Mm. Um, so it's kind of how do I get how do I get from this meek and mild person to someone who does something quite surprising? Yeah. And it's, there's a joy in 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 finding that. And um, yeah, and but then again, I think you know people who haven't been to drama school, it's it's much more impulsive. Um, mm. And in a way, I think having gone to drama school um, made me overthink sometimes yeah. something yeah. that I would have done quite impulsively. I now question and. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys Absolutely. are aware of this term of like um, playing the state or, you know, mm-hmm. it, getting showing too much emotion in a scene. Um, is that like uh, indulging in the scene too much? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that I'd never heard of before going to drama school. Um, and I'm always questioning that. But then there's such a balance, isn't there? Because people want to see emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the balance between showing emotion and also technique which is very difficult mm. uh, unless you're f- actually doing the job, unless you're on the job and doing it. The best people to ever talk to on a set is the cameraman because they know exactly what size shot this is and where and what it's going to do. And so it's always, I've always found vital to kind of say, how big is this? Because, you know, you can give a lot of emotion and they can go, yes, but w- this is a title. If you do that, you'll just be back and forth across the screen and no one's going to see it. Mm. So it's knowing how to kind of funnel, learning how to funnel that marriage of the um, emotion and the technical aspect that comes mm. with experience. And that's when, when you do sort of stand behind the camera and watch more established actors, actors that have been either in the show for a long time or have done the job for a long time, you yeah. kind of go, well, they're not really doing anything. And then you look in the monitor or look in the TV after you go, goodness me, that was good. It was all kind, of, it. It was all yeah. kind of there, was, but you yeah. look at it and go, I don't yeah. really see anything. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you see it, it's yeah. how to funnel it. But I also think what I like about people that come in, and particularly your work, Caitlin, is a degree of inventiveness. You can get very complacent knowing what you can get away with on a TV yeah. show. And, and having been on a TV show for, um, I don't know, 10 years or something like that, you kind of get very lazy about, okay, well, there's a mid-shot. I don't have to worry about my legs or arms here. I'm just from here up. I'm not going to bother with those props. Yep, I'm not going to say no to that. Going to say yes to this. You get into, in in your gear, you get into second gear and you very rarely push yourself into being inventive. And I'm wondering if you're training and having to actually make things for yourself in terms of, you know, making sets or making costumes, whether that informed your work, because I'd like to actually really pick apart this choice that you made in episode one, because it's still something that I think is genius to this point. You invented this choice of having a string mm. in the scene, which of course is not written in the script at yeah. all. 
that's obviously something that you've invented. These mm-hmm. are things that I think is the character. How did you come yeah. up with that? Well, I think I think so much of it is about subtext, isn't it? And and having that in a life and going deeper than what the lines are just saying because you know as humans we say things that we don't necessarily feel and we try to have a veil over um ourselves so you know we could say we're absolutely fine but inside we're absolutely like quivering or whatever so it's kind of it's looking for those moments and I remember with that scene with I think it was Josiah um kind of I you know so much of this season has been me with children <laughs> um so again I was with children um and um one one of the props people was just like oh do you, do you want to have a go with this mm. um and I was just kind of sitting with it and I was just like oh there's something quite funny about this there's some like there's humor to be found in this and I think with each scene I always try to look for the light the lightness because I think even in tragedy there's something there'll be something funny or there'll be something mm. so outlandish that is kind of you know, tragedy and comedy go hand in hand. Um, not that this scene was particularly tragic, maybe no, for no. Lizzie. Um, <laughs> it's very true. There's, there's a good acting technique. I've been told, you know, play every comedy as if it's a drama, play every drama yeah, as yeah. if it's a comedy. And usually that works out yeah, pretty well. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, with that particularly, I just I just remember going through it a few times and there were just moments where, Steve and the director would laugh and I was like oh, okay so there's there's something in this and just kind of refining that and I think it was like a moment where um Jamie walked out and I suddenly stood up and then like was anxiously um kind of rotating this strings and I don't it just it fed into my inner life by doing that so I don't know necessarily whether it was a a subconscious thing of oh this will be you know visually funny I think it was more what it was giving me and and yeah, and the perk of that was that it was entertaining. <laughs> I think that for me, as an actor, admiring another actor, mm. is so much more interesting than trying to play the subtext and just looking at the other person. If you can come up with some psychological gesture or something physical and manifest yeah, yeah. that, rather than just staying there and hoping that the t- subtext is read through your your eyes, which is another great technique and it's something that requires a lot of practice mm. and whatever, but if you have that inventive extra thing, I think it makes your work just really sing and, and, and that's something that's really special. And What would you say to that, Tim? No, I would agree with that um, completely. And it's definitely that element of entering into a scene and it not being, as you're saying, a stale old way or a tried and tested way of doing it. And there is something wonderfully inventive where someone just kind of throws in and goes, I'm going to do this. And you go, sorry, what? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this because that I think that would be fun. Or, there's just things that you notice that you, other people was, uh, go, I would have passed that over. But actually, yeah. no, this is this is the thing. And there are truly great scenes in cinema and in TV where you go, what? just don't look at the mate. Look at what that person's doing because what they're doing is brilliant. There's a great scene in a, very old, in a Brando film. And I can't remember what it is, but he's playing a sheriff. And throughout the entire scene, he's, he's, he's tapping his cheek for no reason. No reason. He's just tapping his cheek, tapping mm-hmm. his cheek. And then, and he's always kind of looking around. He's looking for something whilst this scene, and it's basically saying there's a posse on the hill. We have to go and sort that out. But he's, pre- he's preoccupied. And you find out that by the end of the scene, he has a toothache. And he goes to get the ice and he gets the thing and he puts it on the cheek. And so his journey is, yeah. yes, I'm listening to that, but this is also happening. And it's the grand and the little that I think. And yeah, it's when those yeah, two yeah. combine, much with your string thing it's mm. the inner inner world and the inner journey 
amongst yeah. everything else that makes it so interesting. You're not just a voyager. You mm. are a, an active participant within within the story that I make that I find so interesting. Mm. Now I'm thinking back to my first job on Mrs. Vicious Miss. I'm not going to say. I very my first job. I tried to do something very similar to that, and and I've tried to keep that throughout my career. I remember my character was what was it some ridiculous reason a, a button maker so was the son of a button maker and he was being interrogated by the police i need to see the show no, <laughs> i can't believe it wasn't a roaring success i mean you're really selling it he's being interrogated by the police and, and i thought in the scene you know what i feel like i want something in my hands he'd be nervous and i thought what if he had a button and he's just fiddling with the button because that's what he, he would mm. do because he's the son of anyway you go watch it. You'll see my amazing work. <laughs> it's not. It's no Brando tapping his mouth uh, or Caitlin uh, fiddling with the string, but uh, it was my attempt at that point to do something interesting. But we've all copped our fair share of criticism, though, um, as well as praise from the fans of the show. Yeah. I think, by and large, the fans of the Outland are you know really wonderful, supportive, and mm. extremely kind people. But I think there have been times yes. when fans have said some pretty mean things and speaking for myself i remember when i was first cast basically knowing nothing about the character or outlander for that matter and feeling a bit overwhelmed and nervous coming onto a big international show and i remember being sent this stuff from people about my casting and there was this one article that was sent to me online that literally said casting of david berry as lord john gray in outlander series disappoints fans of the show <laughs> and um, yeah. my initial feelings at reading that headline were first how weird that suddenly i'd become a headline or, or newsworthy and then mm. after seeing that fan response how that doubt about how i was already feeling that maybe i wasn't the right person yeah. for the role was just suddenly so much more acute and now am, am i sure. right in saying that you initially experienced a bit of a fan blowback for your portrayal of Lizzie as well and yeah. how to make you feel especially yeah. since this was your first big acting gig yeah well thank you for sharing that actually because um I I, it, I think it helps to hear that other people have gone through it as well um and exactly what you're saying like overall the response from fans has been overwhelmingly positive and like I'm really grateful for that um so when when I was originally cast um, and it was just the announcement that came out, it was it was all really positive. It was actually, for me, um, the very first two episodes that aired with me in them. Um, I, I didn't have any lines. I was just kind of introduced purely aesthetically, really. Um, and, yeah, um, so obviously as part of the promotion, we, we get sent little stills, don't we, to tweet or to put onto Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, so the day before this episode aired, I'd been sent this still of me and, you know, I, I just tweeted it and I can't remember what I said. And then I went to bed because obviously it comes out in America before it comes out here. And I just woke up to reams and reams of, um, messages on that photo. Um, basically just, yeah, it was, it was quite overwhelming really. It was, um, Basically, people, quite similar people saying that um, it was the worst casting that Outlander had had. Um, that one one made me laugh. But I hold on to this one. Um, that I looked like Brianna's bodyguard. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I mean, inventive stuff. Um, but basically, commenting commenting on my appearance and commenting on um, 
And and the trouble was that when I first got sent um, the break, the character breakdown for Lizzie, mm. um, I remember thinking, bloody hell, I'm, I've got no chance. She's this 16-year-old, malnourished, blonde, like, weedy Scottish girl. Mm. I mean, I couldn't do Scottish accent to begin with. Um, you know, I myself didn't think that I had a hope in hell of getting it. Um, so to kind of see that other people were kind of reinforcing my own worst fears... Um, and hundreds of people and not even going out and directly looking for that stuff it was people were commenting and tagging me in it um was really overwhelming and for the first two weeks um yeah I actually I actually went into quite a dark place with it to be honest Mm. um I just had to get rid of all social media and um I I just didn't really know how to handle it because obviously it was my very first job so I was so excited about it coming out and suddenly it just felt like that had kind of been taken away from me. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, then the episode 409 came out, um, which I was actually acting in it. Um, and suddenly the response became really positive, um, which was lovely, but hard to forget where I had been two weeks ago. Um, and I, you know that's why I'm like so grateful to people like Kat who reached out and said that she wanted to make a fan page for me and it just that just meant a lot to me because it was validation and you know because I was I was seeing people even tweeting Marrell um the producer you know saying why did you cast Caitlin Orion and then seeing a producer kind of having to um back up defend their decision yeah, yeah. you know um, and that that was really difficult and I think people forget that you know we're in this age where you can put anything out on Twitter and and to be honest I don't think people actually knew that they were tagging me in the things that they were saying Mm. um um but I think people forget that you know what what you are putting out there on the other end of that there's there's a 22 year old girl who's reading it and being heartbroken (laughs) not only that you're Um, extremely talented and they hadn't given you a chance i think what you're saying it's coming down a lot to your appearance and And in a way and yeah go ahead oh sorry no i was just gonna say and in a way that was something that i could um i could deal with Mm -hmm. i think had it have been criticism of my acting in a way that would have hurt more because that's much more vulnerable you know that is someone is commenting on whether you are talented or not or whether you can do the thing that you want to do with the rest of your life whereas you can't really control how tall you are or (laughs) Um, well exactly i mean we have no control over these things we don't even have control over the fact that we've been cast in a thing i remember for me it came down to um my appearance as well is that i didn't didn't have blonde hair well i'm I'm sorry, I, I didn't ask. For, I mean, I auditioned for the role, but in the, the day they could have yeah, chosen yeah. the blonde-haired person. Maybe they didn't. They said no. But uh, yeah. the the truth is that I I we I went in for a wig fitting and um we we tried the blonde wing wigs and uh, they just they didn't work. Or, um, I, I remember it was it just came yeah. down to a, a simple thing like um yeah the the hair color and uh, look I can understand that on on the one hand, but then I, I think about you, Tim. I think um. Yeah. Tim, who, which is a little bit ironic, you're the, the only person here is actually playing an actual historical figure, <laughs> not a fictional yeah. one, and no one's complaining about whether yes. or not you bear any resemblance to that person. No, I think uh, I think the, I think one of the things that I had was that I should have been a little heavier, oh, which well. is always something <laughs> interesting. Wow. In a funny kind of way, it's a bit like a compliment. Thank you. So you're thinking, 
Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll take that. Bit less yeah. handsome, but, um, right? Bit less handsome. <laughs> this is uh, this is it. Um, but yeah, I mean, playing a real historical character has its own things because people have very kind of definite ideas about sure. cer- about how you should be and that kind of thing. And I've tried to imbue my character with a little bit more, I guess, mm. humor. And I think people kind of see, yeah. especially people of that generation of that particular era, mm. is that they're all all probably quite humorless and quite sort of, especially the English. Yeah of that period are all quite evil and nasty and dark and that's it they are just there for one thing and that's it so to try and move it around and just try and do something else then some people kind of go uh well i don't know about that because it says here that he wasn't so Mm. yeah i I wonder as well if if the fans are slightly less protective of um characters that they see to be uh not evil, but oh. <laughs> on the on the darker side of things. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, because you know, Lord John Gray, for example, is such a beloved character. Yeah. People have yeah. quite a, a idea of who and how that should be played. Or even Lizzie, for example. Mm. Um, I, I don't know, and maybe I, yeah, I, don't I think know. there's that. I also think that um, there's a gendered element there. I think guys get a bit of a pass. On, on their looks, yeah. but uh, I think um, the, the women on this show have been sort of subjected to a bit more of a, a critique about their appearance, and uh, it's unfortunate, yeah. but... Um, yeah. It's societal, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, a lot of those comments come from women, which I just think is heartbreaking, because in a world where it's hard enough being a woman, don't start, like, pulling each other down as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be supporting each other and lifting each other up. Um, yeah. But... Having said that, overwhelmingly, like um, the, the interaction that I've had from people on Instagram and people on Twitter has been really positive, um, and I'm and I'm and I'm really grateful for the people who do reach out and and say lovely comments and stuff. That was, you know, that was two weeks of sadness in you know two years of it being overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. that's great because because you know, at the end of the day talent will out talent will out and once yeah. they see it and once they invest in it and once they see what you do with it do have done with it and will continue to do and on her journey yeah. then you know the audience are going to be yeah i'm with i'm i'm with her team lizzie as you said before mm-hmm. team lizzie that's what we're on anyway. <laughs> and there'll be plenty of people Thanks, setting up fan pages for you don't worry about that Coming back to one of the first questions I asked you, so it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's a few years down the track. You've got many fan pages. The situation is is reversed. It's now your turn mm-hmm. to to sit in that car opposite someone who's about to head into their very first read through yeah. for their first big gig. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, what if anything do you say to that person? Oh my gosh, what a question! Um... Well, it was what was going through my mind. Um, yeah. So you can uh, school me on how I should have done it. But let me just say, if I was acting too cool, I was very, I'm, I'm always very nervous for people coming in. I, I try to think about how I was in that situation. Um, and, and I don't want to be too talked at. I, I want to very much help that person and, and, you know, you almost know exactly what they're about to get into and what all the feelings that they're about to have and all the trials and challenges, mm-hmm. but also all the thrills that they're about to have. And you, you just think like, oh, if only I could express that to you. And that's how I was in that moment. But what would you be like? What would you yeah, be saying yeah. to someone? Oh, my gosh. Just buckle in. It's going to be a bit of a ride. And um, 
it's going to be a great one. Um, and not the car trip. We're talking yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buckle in with David. It's going to be a ride. I tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, just it's yeah it's gonna have amazing highs and it might have some lows but ultimately you're living your dream and you know and I think back to myself when I was like a little six-year-old who was just like I want to be an actor and like well you're doing it and this and you've got yourself here and um you know with help of other people obviously but ultimately you and you deserve it and you deserve the time that you have in this situation and um yeah just smash it See, that's where <laughs> i went wrong that's what i should have said thank you yeah. i'll write that down <laughs> i remember for next time <laughs> thank you caitlin caitlin oh, thank, you. thank you so much this has been a real treat so thank you so much for giving us the oh, time thank you so much and, uh, this has been lovely yeah if I, if I was in the car i think i would have said uh are you are you gonna eat all those rolos <laughs> um, that would be my don't eat all those rolos that's it and then <laughs> and then just make it awkward all the way through go god i well, can't believe they've eaten all those rolos. Gone with David, think, well either. exactly <laughs> many people have said that don't get in the car with timmy the rolos or after eight don't even don't do that um but honestly mm. it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you, oh, so thank much. you so much, and may you may you have continued success in everything that you do with the show yeah. and everything above and beyond this. It means a lot, guys. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Great. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye. Bye. Hi, and welcome now to that part of our show we call Listener Questions. Uh, Tim, we have a question here today from Rebecca Insera. She says, hi, David and Tim. My name is Rebecca Insera. I wanted to know that if you two were to have a kid, what do you think it would look like? Thanks for the podcast. Can't wait for the others you have for us. And she has a little emoticon waving at us. So uh, thanks for that question, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. Um, God, what would it look like? Uh, well, devastating to start yeah. with. A miracle of modern science as well. It would be quite astute. I think of average height and build, but uh, nothing nothing you'd, you'd, that would cause concern, I think. I think it would be probably very much in, into the arts. Great lover of music, quite good at football, and uh, a lover, not a fighter. And I would be enormously proud, already proud, uh, of that child that has yet to be uh, inseminated. Well, I think the most important observation is, is that we, we all know it would come out of the womb with yeah. a moustache and an English accent. Oh, yeah. I, and I, too, am, am proud of it already, this, this child of ours. I know it will disappoint me later on. As they all do. As they all As do, they but all of course, do. all the bad things I'm going to blame on Tim and his poor parenting and his lousy genetics. So I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, hmm. I, I I blame my own genetics right now, and I uh, even blame my own father. So that's that's his fault. Uh, he knows the reasons. Uh, don't don't have to go into it now. Thank you for your question. I hope that I hope that clears it up. And if anyone would like to do a little mock up of what that child would look like, please do whatever that chimera would look like. Yeah, that would be lovely to see. Thank you for listening to Outcasts. Please remember to rate, subscribe and leave a review as it all helps. Follow us on our Instagram page at outcast.podcast for all the latest updates. Or you can send us an email at outcastspodcastshow at gmail.com. Every week we shall select a question from one of our listeners to answer on the show. The theme music is composed by Kieran Ledwidge. All views and opinions expressed on the show are our own and have no affiliation with the series of books written by Diana Gabaldon 
or the Sony Stars television show Outlander. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Although I did have a ham sandwich earlier. So. See you next time. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.